Oh, we're currently at do it against the Chiefs. And then if he beats the Chiefs, it's do it against whoever they play in the AFC Championship game. And then if they win the AFC Championship game, it's do it against whoever they play in the Super Bowl. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of There's a Lot Going On, the only podcast that wouldn't have ran it with 14 seconds left in the game. I'm David Arroyo, joined, as always, my pal Tom Shively. Tom, it's an exciting weekend of playoff football. It hasn't gone exactly how you or I could have hoped, but before we get into that, I gotta know, how you doing today? You know, I played basketball for the first time in three weeks. Tonight, I rolled my ankle a little bit, so so we're battling through that, but... You know, the great ones find a way to, to stay out there on the court. And uh, I, I did, my team won zero games tonight, but I, I gave effort, which is the important takeaway here. Listen, you stayed out there even after the injury arose. You knew that you couldn't just leave your brothers out there to fend for themselves. I, I respect it, Tom. Yeah, I mean, it, otherwise I'm looking like the Patriots secondary out there. I can't just leave them. That was bad. Like, we got to start there. The seven drives, seven touchdowns. Uh, what an anticlimactic ending for a defense that was really solid all year and kind of hung their hat on it. Well, let's pump the brakes a little bit. We'll we'll get into the absolute shellacking of the Buffalo Bills by the New England Patriots. I was going to go in order of the time in which the games occurred, much like we did last week. No, I just had to get the Patriots off the chest. Like, horrendous effort on defense. We'll get into it later, though. I respect No, it. Yeah. I understand being in your position where you're like, you're upset with how this went, because I am also upset with how this went, but we'll get to it. There's plenty of takes that we could fire off about both of the teams that we root for, but let's start with where we were right, Tom, and that is the Cincinnati Bengals taking down the Las Vegas Raiders 26-19. I mean, this was kind of, I don't want to say inevitable, but... It was one of those things where like the Raiders had a nice season. Nobody was sitting here like the Raiders are about to make a playoff run. Where we've seen the Bengals beat the Chiefs. We've seen the Bengals hang around with the best teams in the league. And they came out. Joe Burrow was efficient. Like he didn't turn the ball over. He pushed the ball downfield. The running game for them still, you know, not the best. And the offensive line for the Bengals in specific showed some holes. It felt like Burrow was under pressure the entire night. But still, good win by the Bengals and another good building block on what has been, for me, if you like are a Bengals fan, it's just been a building block type of season. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I, I think the Raiders played a lot better than I expected. You know, we talked about them having to have a chance would be guys like Crosby on the defensive line actually getting at Burrow. And, you know, they didn't get a ton of sacks, but it felt like they made him uncomfortable. And yeah, Burrow had a you know, it wasn't one of his flashiest games, but he he made the right throws and kind of had the veteran type, you know, I don't want to say game management, but it felt like he made the smart plays when he needed to, and they did enough to win. Like, it wasn't their best offensive performance by far, but I continue to be impressed. You know, there's all this information going around about how all the, the young cores under 25, you know, first playoff start for all these guys. You really didn't feel like that. It felt like they were a veteran team. It felt like they were confident in themselves and why wouldn't you be if you're if you're firing on all cylinders on offense like the Bengals have been the last few weeks? Well, not only are they firing on all cylinders, but think about the guys who were playing in this game. Joe Burrow, national champion. T. Higgins, national champion. Jamar Chase, national champion. These guys have been there, done that at the biggest level of college football. 
And when you've done it at that level in college football, maybe I'm wrong having, like, obviously, this goes without saying, having not been in those situations, maybe I just don't know what I'm talking about. But I feel like a national championship game feels bigger than a wild card game against the Raiders. Being, you know, T. Higgins against Alabama in a national championship game or playing against LSU in a national championship game. On the other end, LSU, you know, going undefeated, having all that talent and going wire to wire. I feel like that was more pressure than first playoff game against the Las Vegas Raiders. Like, may, may, again, I could be wrong. I don't think that's fair because you didn't you kind of slander my take that the quarterback receiver combination in college didn't really matter that much once they got to the pros. I don't recall slandering this. I I, I don't think it's like you the disagreed end all, be all. at least. It's it's all definitely right, not enough. the end all be all. I'll allow it, but but I'm counting this as a win for that argument. I think, yeah, the pressure in college, it, it's, you know, obviously the talent level isn't quite what it is in the NFL, but, you know, the pressure of executing, you're, you're surrounded by better players in the NFL, probably higher stakes in the national championship. I, I'd agree with you. Well, and I'd also say, too, just to go back to the game itself, I think it's encouraging what you had mentioned there about Joe Burrow kind of being that game manager that they needed in this game. He kind of recognized... You know, this was an issue he had earlier this year, I noticed, where, remember that Bears game, whenever they got pressure on him, he was turning the ball over, not looking like a very crisp and clean quarterback, and clearly over the course of the season, he's learned his lesson, because in this game, there was pressure in his face constantly tonight, or Saturday night, and he was throwing the ball away, he was going down instead of trying to like make a play happen when he just didn't have any time, he was constantly living to see another down. And if you are the Bengals organization, you're probably very excited about that. You're like, okay, so we get the great of him pushing downfield, going to Jamar Chase, you know, pushing Tyler Boyd through the middle of the field. We get all of that. And if he starts to cut down on the turnovers, we have all the upside with none of the downside. I think Joe Burrow is honestly, after this season, really pushed himself into that top 10 quarterback conversation. I'd have to look at like the quarterbacks, but to me, he's at least in the conversation, if not firmly in the top 10. Uh, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, you're starting a team. What's the order that you want those guys? I would take Justin Herbert first because I still think talent-wise, he's the most talented. And I didn't feel they lost that game because of Justin Herbert. Like, the only reason they had a chance to beat the Raiders is because Justin Herbert kept making absurd fourth down throws. So, I'm going to go Justin Herbert one. I honestly think I'd take Joe Burrow two. And th- this was always the conversation, too, because remember we would talk about the Browns I would always, or the Steelers. I would always say, you're in a bad spot when you're quarterback is the worst in the division the Bengals are in the opposite right now you're in a great spot because you could argue that you have the best quarterback in this division I think Lamar Jackson's really good but I just trust Joe Burrow a little bit more than I trust Lamar Jackson you know maybe Lamar comes out next year and makes me look dumb considering they were eight and three before him and the rest of the team got injured but I I think I would take Joe Burrow right now I think I'd agree I like that order um, Lamar Jackson's got to stay healthy too. Well, that's, that's, just, part, that's of, part of the game. What's part of the calculation, right? Is Joe Burrow? No, had absolutely. Yeah. Devastating knee injury. Justin Herbert has not been hurt yet. Uh, knock on wood, because we don't want that. Well, he got hurt last year, so I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. He, he or no, I said Herbert. I'm all over the place. I'm just going to Burrow move on got be- hurt last year. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was talking about Herbert and then somehow switched in my brain to Burrow. And so I was all over the place, didn't know where I was going with that. So we're going to move on. The Cincinnati Bengals advance based on the outcome of the Chiefs Steelers game, which is currently going on. It is 21 to 7 at halftime. If the Chiefs do hold on and that result would hold, the Cincinnati Bengals, I believe, would be heading to Tennessee, correct? Tennessee, yep. And in that scenario, the team that beat down on the New England Patriots yesterday, the Buffalo Bills, would face Kansas City in Kansas City. And that's where we go next, Tom. 47-17. to You already mentioned it. A perfect game from the Buffalo Bills. They did not punt. They did not uh, turn the ball over. And I believe they converted all of their third downs. I believe that's what constitutes a perfect game and also didn't miss any field goals extra points blah 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 tom let's start with your patriots you already got some of how you feel off of your chest but 17 points i was not expecting this from either side i thought this game would be close the patriots have been one of the best defenses all year and i mean i hate to admit it but josh allen torched them yeah josh allen on the ground really they felt like they had no answer for you know in the air honestly too it just 47 points, you know, worst loss playoffs of Belichick's career. Um, you know, uncharacteristic performance from the defense. J.C. Jackson had a nightmare game covering Stephon Diggs. Barmore was a little banged up, so he couldn't really get to Allen. And, and I think that kind of fueled the run game a little bit. But defense, I mean, there, there's not really anything else to say about the defense other than they just got beat down by Allen. They got beat down by the run game. They got beat down by no matter what Buffalo threw at them, it worked it. It's like they were playing on rookie in Madden and they were just, you know, we're going to call HP pitch and it's just going to work. We're going to get a first down. We're going to call a Hail Mary to Stephon Diggs. He's going to catch it. Defense was fantastic for Buffalo. That pick from Micah Hyde was special, but I, I can't really blame the offense that much. I mean, 17 in Buffalo isn't a horrendous performance. You know, obviously one of those really, both of those touchdowns were garbage time, but it's hard to put any blame on the offense when the defense is not getting a stop. And, you know, Mac Jones could have had a great game and they still would have given up 47 points. Not their shiny performance. You know, it, good that they made the playoffs. I guess my season reflection is it's never a bad thing to get a rookie to the postseason. Um, you know, they played pretty well all year and they kind of faltered down the stretch. They they, they started slow. They, they were fast in the middle and then they finished slow. So kind of an up and down year. And uh, you know, Buffalo kind of deserved that a little bit. It probably felt great for the Buffalo fans to beat down the Patriots, so I can live with that. I, I would say I don't agree with you in your assessment of Mac Jones. I would say this performance is actually very pedestrian and slightly concerning, not completely concerning, though. I just think turning the ball over twice in the manner in which he did, like that first pick, or maybe it was the second pick, I don't remember which it was, but one of those interceptions was not very good, like just didn't make the right read and kind of threw the ball where it was in jeopardy of being picked off. So I thought this was a concerning game from a guy who we just mentioned has played in big games before. He just looked lost out there for most of this game. The one thing I'll say in Mac Jones's defense, I don't think he's working with the best skill talent. And I had said that in the the, post, the preseason podcast that we did. And it didn't really show itself most of the year. Yeah, the offense was kind of pedestrian all year, but it was never. Oh, it showed it at the beginning of the year for sure. And then but they it kind was of never like it out a little bit. It was never detrimental, right? It was never one of those things where the offense was so bad that you were like, "Wow, this team can't win games." This offense was just too bad to win games yesterday, 
And I think that is concerning. Like you need to try and get one of these guys that might be available this offseason. Calvin Ridley reportedly available in Atlanta. I think he would be a great addition to the Patriots as well as the other team we're going to talk about after this. You know, I, I just think you need to do something to help Mac Jones and running out Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Hunter Henry and Jacoby Myers isn't the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, they got killed. Congratulations to Buffalo, but yeah, obviously disappointing performance. So we'll see what they do in the offseason. Well, let's go to Buffalo then real quick before we move off of them. I've obviously been of the belief that Josh Allen is one turnover in a bad moment away from throwing the entire season away. It looks like they're going to be playing the Chiefs next week. What are the chances you give them? Do you think they have a really good chance to beat Kansas City? Do you think they should be favored against Kansas City? How are you looking at that matchup? I don't think they should be favored. I would take the Chiefs. They're probably going to open at you know two and a half, three point favorite, and I would say that's about fair. I think the Chiefs have the edge um, defensively as well. I, I'd be interesting to see. I, it there's no way Josh Allen has this kind of performance again in Kansas City. You know he hasn't ever won a road playoff game, but that did kind of feel like a turning the corner moment from Josh Allen. You know that was maybe the best game he's ever played. And, you know, we'll see how far he's come. And, and, and the real question is, where do you stand on Josh Allen with your uh, your seesaw? You know, I don't believe in him. Do it against the Chiefs. Do it in the playoffs. You know, is it do it in the Super Bowl now? Where are we at? Oh, we're currently at do it against the Chiefs. And then if he beats the Chiefs, it's do it against whoever they play in the AFC Championship game. And then if they win the AFC Championship game, it's do it against whoever they play in the Super Bowl. Very Stu Gott's response. Shout out the Levitard show. So I, I'm proud of that. I've gone full Stugatz on this take. I am not backing down on the Josh Allen is going to make a boneheaded play in a big moment until he doesn't do it. And I can not see, I, but if they win the Super Bowl against a team that isn't the Packers, if someone else makes everything to see, you're going to be like, do it against Aaron Rodgers. No, 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 no. See, I won't go that far because I, I think they're either going to be playing the Packers or the Bucks. So either way, you're going to have beaten Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers to have won the Super Bowl. So either way, I'm going to have to give him his props at that point, whether I want to or not. I just think next week is probably going to come down to the defenses, what defense can make a play. Buffalo's probably the better defense, so Buffalo should be favored, I think, next week in Kansas City. I just trust Patrick Mahomes more than I trust Josh Allen and I mean, I could be wrong for that because both both the guys are prone to like bad turnovers because of the way they play the position. So, you know, we'll see. It'll be interesting. I don't know. I, I, well, I mean, you kind of get the, the picture of the Kansas City Chiefs in this second quarter against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has a defensive touchdown to go up 7 nothing, And then by the end of the quarter, Kansas City has three touchdowns. So they just kind of can turn it on whenever they want. And, you know, they didn't do it at times this year, but it, it, it kind of feels like they're they're rounding into form in the playoffs, and, and they, they've never really not had that killer instinct in the playoffs. You know, they had the bad Super Bowl last year, but at Arrowhead, it feels like it, it's going to be a tall task for Buffalo. Well, the analogy was always, I think I've brought this to the podcast before, but Daniel Jeremiah's used the analogy of the Golden State Warriors where, when Kevin Durant was there. They were always a quarter away from going from being down 20 to suddenly being up 15. And it's just, that's the way Kansas City plays. At no point do you feel like you're safe because we've seen them come back down 28. We've seen them down multiple touchdowns. And then in a quarter, it's like, oh, they're right back in it. And that's why it's just so hard to count them out. And it's going to take 
a huge effort, not just from the Buffalo defense, but the Buffalo offense might need to do this again. They might need to go out there and not make any mistakes because it feels like you make a mistake against the Chiefs, they're capitalizing nine times out of 10. Yeah, 35 points might not be enough to win the game at Arrowhead, so you're going to have to have a good performance. Tom, let's move on then to the first of the games today. That is the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeating the Philadelphia Eagles, the Birds, 31-15. to That score closer than the game actually was. It actually, at any given moment, it felt like the Eagles were down 40 points and it was only like 14. Just a, a bad, bad performance from the Birds. Jalen Hurts had two interceptions. He had to throw the ball 43 times. They couldn't really get the run game going early and basically abandon it from there. Before you go, Tom, I'll give the, the quick you know, synapsis on how I felt about the Eagles season. I thought making the playoffs was kind of house money. You know, you already had the three first round picks in hand. You are are just happy to be here, to be honest. And so I think it's something to build on. I think Jalen Hurts showed improvement over the year, even though he had a bad game today. I think he showed you enough throughout the year to keep him. But Jalen Riker's got to go. You got to add some sort of second receiver next to... Devonte Smith because I first of all they don't target Devonte Smith enough but yeah need, that was you, odd you need to get him some help on the outside right now it's Devonte Smith Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders and if you can take away one of them you're now in like a really bad spot because the offense is just too one-dimensional to afford to lose any of them so I think they need to add another wide out and they need to retool this whole defense you need linebacker help you need help in the secondary you probably need some help on the defensive line, too, because you're too thin right now on the D-line. Once Brandon Graham got hurt, it was now down to Ryan Kerrigan had to give you snaps, and that was never going to be helpful. So I think, you know, positive season overall, but definitely some things. They shouldn't get complacent just because they made the playoffs. I didn't have a ton of surprises in this game. Um, you know, shocker, Tom Brady without Chris Godwin still made the offense look incredibly easy. A lot of you know, relaxed coverage from Philly. It felt like, especially in that first half, they were just kind of giving Tom Brady first downs whenever he wanted them. And he just felt really comfortable. And, and you know, no matter what happened in the regular season, it's like, oh, Tom Brady in the playoffs, of course they're going to do well. It feels a little bit inevitable at this point. Um, He's you know, Mike Evans had a solid game. They got the they got the rushing game going. And complete performance by by a better team today and they and they went out they were convincing like buffalo they they did what they were supposed to do they were incredibly successful on offense and they should weather contenders well yeah i think tampa bay like if you were objective which i obviously wasn't tampa bay was obviously the better team they had the better defense they had the better skill players they had the better quarterback. There was no reason they should have lost this game. Like, if Tampa Bay had lost this game, it would have been a very bad sign in Tampa Bay. But, you know, they won the game. Mike Evans had a monster performance. And to to talk about something you mentioned there, I don't know how other teams play in the playoffs. I hope they don't see another defense that plays the way the Eagles do because Tom Brady will pick it apart. When you just sit back and let Tom Brady find the open receiver... It's what he's been doing for the last... It's what he's, yeah, it's, it's what he's built a career on. Yeah, and it's like to sit back and not pressure him and just let him torch your defense, which was the exact same strategy they used the last time they played Tom Brady and it didn't go terribly well. I, I just don't understand the logic there. And Jonathan Gannon, like, I just... It's embarrassing at this point, the way he plays defense. And being 
being an Eagles fan and having grown up with the defensive coordinators that I have in Jimmy Johnson, who was so big, or was that his name, Jimmy Johnson? I feel like that was his name. I'm, mm. Why am I thinking of the Fox guy when I say Jimmy Old Johnson? Cowboys I'm gonna to, coach Jimmy Johnson. I'm going to have to double check his name. But the Johnson defense that was so aggressive and blitzed so frequently, the Jim Swartz defenses that were like, let's man up. I'm going to blitz a couple guys and let's see what happens. Like super aggressive. I prefer that to this where you just sit back and get paper cut it to death every week. I hate watching this. Good thing you don't have to watch it anymore this year. Well, thank goodness, because it, it was just, it was the worst. Also, Jim Johnson was his name, so I feel good about the fact that I was right Jim, about that. That's close, that's close. So, yeah, ju- just brutal performance, but Tampa Bay next week will play the winner of the Monday Night Football game between Arizona and L.A. I think you and I are both on record. You have Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. I have L.A. I do, I do have Arizona. So we will see. It, it doesn't really matter who advances. I, I think Tampa should be favored against whoever they play. Tom, let's go on to who... ah, the Rams. Historically, have given them a lot of trouble. Okay, I don't we, think we Tom Brady's see. beaten the Rams. I think he's zero two. Uh, he, he won a Super Bowl against the Rams. No, no, no in Tampa. Since, Sorry, in, in Tampa. Tampa. Okay, just wanted to, he won uh, two Super Bowls against the Rams. Thank you very much. Yeah, how dare I? That's very disrespectful of me. Uh, Tom, let's go on then to who the one seed at Green Bay Packers will be playing, and that is the San Francisco 49ers, who took down the Dallas Cowboys today, 23 to 17. But I think it's only appropriate before we break down the game. We start with how this game ended and that is the Dallas Cowboys with about 14 seconds left they drop back the pass San Francisco is playing very soft coverage so they decide to call a QB sneak Dak Prescott runs up the middle he gains you know 15 20 30 I don't know how many yards it was but it was a decent decent amount of yardage he picked up they then get to the line don't hand the referee the ball the referee has to touch the ball for it to be officially placed he touches it he can't get out of the pile and the clock expires, Dallas unable to snap the ball, game over. Hell of a way to lose if you're Dallas, and they just continue to find new ways to disappoint their fan base. It's really beautiful. I'm going to say it. I don't know if I speak for you, but it's less frustrating in my mind to lose like the Patriots and the Eagles did than it would have been to see something like that happen. So I can at least take solace in that. It's not even close. This game, I feel like San Francisco didn't even do anything special. This is all about Dallas just failing to execute at home in the playoffs. You know, know, somebody else tweeted this, and I saw they took their victory lap last week against Philly. And, you know, why? What have you earned? They had had a really bad game against Arizona the week before. They, They beat up on the second stringers. Congratulations. And San Francisco, you know, we both picked them. I think we kind of saw... You know, the loss of Michael Gallup, I think, definitely plays C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper without him just can't really be the same. And they weren't able to get the running game going. San Francisco kind of punched you to death. They get, you know, they get the early lead and then it's just kind of, all right, we're going to milk the clock. We're going to just go and, and be methodical. And, you know, it's how they beat the Rams every time, it feels like. And they just did it to the Cowboys. It, it, it's Elijah Mitchell, 27 carries, 96 yards, only about three and a half yards a carry, but just running you into the ground. Debo Samuel, 10 carries, 72 yards, a touchdown. Like, they, they are all about... They have such a clear identity, which is so helpful when you're in the playoffs. They want to run the football. They want to run play action off of running the football. They want to keep their quarterback out of bad situations and just 
run the ball down your throat, try and be the more physical, dominant team in an era where it is so much more about finesse, the Niners have a distinct advantage because they want to punch you in the mouth. And I really appreciate that about the 49ers. I think they're going to give Green Bay some trouble next week. I think we kind of forgot. I don't, I, me personally, I, I forgot a little bit how good this defense was because they stunk last year. And, you know, the defense didn't stink last year, but they, they the team wasn't very good. And it's like, oh, yeah, they made the Super Bowl two years ago with a lot of the same guys. And they absolutely pounded Aaron Rodgers and the Packers Phrasing. in that championship game. Granted, it was in San Francisco so or Santa Clara, you know, wherever they play, whatever Bay City they play in. But, you know, going to Lambeau is going to be tough. Um they have a style that fits the cold, so I don't think they're going to be hampered as much as a team like the Rams would be. So I, I, they they got a puncher's chance. Well, the thing is, right, the advantage the Packers have in this game is the Niners secondary has been depleted all year and has continually just been kind of average by NFL standards. Like, yeah, their front seven is really good, but that back four is not very strong. And... The, the, the advantage, though, the Packers have can be easily neutralized by bad weather, which is so strange that, like, you have Aaron Rodgers and you don't fight a little harder to, like, put him in a dome or get him inside in some way. Like, you care more about the history of Lambeau than winning Super Bowls because I feel like Aaron Rodgers in a dome at home with that fan base would have a couple more Super Bowls. But, you know, they would rather... That's a bad take. How many of their, how many of their playoff games have they actually lost at home? They lost last year to Tampa, obviously, and then they had that one loss to the Giants. There you go. Um, like that was a very a cold game round, in a divisional round one year. But like other than that, they've been money at home. So I don't, I don't buy that. There's my take. I, I gave you the take. We're just gonna have to move off on from the take. Uh, yeah, I just. I, oh no, no, that that is fraudulent because they went to Atlanta and got killed in that one NFC Championship game. Yeah, that was game different. When the Falcons different. made the Super Bowl. So, I, I said so it home. Has to be his dome. I said home dome game. Okay. Yes, right, it has to be his it. dome. Come on, got okay. to stay. Got to keep up with the take. I understand it's a little more nuanced than you're used to, but you know it's got to be his home. Wow! Dome. Wow! All right. Also, home dome phrasing. Uh, Tom, the the Chiefs are now up twenty-seven to seven. This game going exactly how both you and I suspected. Uh, I mean, do you have anything to say about the playoff picture other than than what we've I'm already ready to pencil out? in? I'm ready to pencil in Kansas City. Um, that Chiefs-Buffalo game is going to be incredible. I'm so excited for that one. I, honestly, Bengals-Titans, if it shakes out like that, and then 49ers-Packers, should be a great divisional weekend. I'm excited. Well, real quick, too, I don't know if you feel this way, but winner of Bills-Chiefs should go to the Super Bowl. Like, if they don't go to the Super I'd Bowl... I'd be shocked if they lose in the AFC Championship. Yeah, yeah. winner of that game should be a Super Bowl team. And if we get Packers-Bucks Packers again... Bucks. We would have gotten almost all the best games. The only way it could be better, the, the best possible outcome, in my opinion, is Mahomes wins the AFC, Rodgers wins the NFC, because now you have arguably the two most talented quarterbacks ever playing each other in the Super Bowl. We've already gotten Mahomes-Brady. Let's get Mahomes-Rodgers, and I think that would be incredibly exciting, especially if we get Rodgers-Brady in the NFC Championship game. That is what the NFL is dreaming up right now. I wouldn't complain about a Mahomes Burrow AFC championship either. Um, you know, I I think it'll go Kansas City's way, but I mean, you gotta love that. I think that'd be exciting. I mean, you saw it a couple weeks ago. We might get fireworks again. We might get a thirty-plus point game on both sides, where you know it, it's just one late play that wins you the game. All right, all right, Tom. Let's move on then to 
the word of tennis. We don't often talk about tennis, but th- I think this will be a brief one from from us. Uh, and that is, of course, Novak Djokovic. Uh, to catch people up, basically, on what happened, the Aust- Australia as a country has very strict COVID-19 guidelines. If you are American, you don't know anything about this. It is much different from how we as a country have handled the COVID-19 pandemic. But Australia is taking it very seriously. And because of that, Novak Djokovic, who is very publicly anti-vax, he's not just like, you know, religious free. He just doesn't want to take the vaccine. He's been very public about it. He's going to do what he does. He's kind of an a-hole about it, too, because you'll find out he's positive. And then there's this picture of him hanging around a bunch of people the next day with no mask. That's neither here nor there, though. That has nothing to do with this story. Just going to preface how I feel about this before I even get to it. So he gets into Australia And they basically, because he had a work visa, they had said he could be there, blah, blah, blah. And then at the last minute, they were like, you know what? No, you're not allowed to be here. So he then had to take it to court. He had to go through all these appeals, eventually losing in the court system. He was then deported and had to fly to Dubai because they don't require their their travelers to be vaccinated, but they do require a negative PCR test to board those flights. So Novak Djokovic will not get to compete in the Australian Open and defend his Australian Open title. Tom, your reaction to the Novak Djokovic story? I loved it, honestly. He's been very vocal anti-vax. It, it felt good to me that the Australian government told him no. And kind of put their foot down. You know, you don't you don't see a ton of that with superstar athletes, especially a guy who I think has won nine Australian Opens. He basically has a second home there in Melbourne. But I thought it was I thought it was really good from the Australian government. I it, I'm interested to see what Djokovic does next. I know you mentioned before the show there's a tournament in Dubai in February, so maybe he just starts prepping for that. I think it's really funny that no one in Europe is going to allow him back in for the time being. So he's just kind of a flying around to different countries i'd like to envision maybe hope it's someone to let him in but i mean i'm shocked he's not in florida right now training somewhere that just feels like such a natural fit just you know easily travel into the u.s and go to your private tennis center or whatever but good to be you know hopefully we see a fresh face win the australian open i i, I don't think it's the worst thing for tennis that djokovic isn't going to be there and, and you're going to see some of these younger guys that'll be dominating the sport for a while um but yeah, to, to see Djokovic, who's not exactly beloved by by the other tennis players, have this happen, it was it's kind of good. Well, well, the one thing I will say is, I think it's I, I kind of like right on one level that they've made a statement by doing this, right? Because it feels like the rules that apply to you and I about where we can and can't go based on vaccination status, based on you know, country travel restrictions, they haven't applied to anybody in the sports world. It hasn't applied to Novak Djokovic and all his tennis friends who got to travel to all these countries and compete during a global pandemic. It hasn't applied to, you know, all those soccer clubs who still traveled to all of these other countries getting to play, you know, during their various tournaments that they've played. And so it's kind of nice to finally see somebody who is a superstar global athlete kind of get put in their place. Like, you're not bigger than what our local government rules are. You're not more important than the public safety of the people who live here. The one thing I don't really like about it is it felt like Australia obviously was making a statement, but I don't like that they basically were like, like, hey, we're going to allow this to happen. 
And then they got so much pushback from their constituents that they were then like, okay, never mind. Well, then again, I guess like that's a good thing because in America we would complain about it and then nothing would happen. So you know what? I, I, I take that say, back. Yeah. I'm happy that they have a government that actually listens to what their people want. It's insane that that actually happens. But, you know, good on Australia for making a statement. I'm envious. I think they have about the population of Florida and maybe 30 times less COVID deaths. So Australia and New Zealand have honestly kind of been the poster children of of how to handle the pandemic. And they're taking it a step further. So so good good on them for, for kind of standing their ground. Yeah, New, New Zealand and Australia have been very aggressive with like the lockdowns and stuff like that. Probably would have been really bad for my mental health, but would have been great for public safety. We would have had significantly less deaths if we had handled this the way Australia and New Zealand have. Talgo, Australia coming up? Yeah. Talgo, Australia? Do we have any fans in Australia? Should we be uh, Should we be NBL guys? I mean... The basketball La- league down there? If LaMelo was still in the NBL, I think I could be all in. I think I know somebody who plays in the NBL who went to my high school. I think, wasn't his team just the New Zealand Breakers? Like, one of their teams is just the New Zealand team. I'm not totally sure. If you do me a favor, and because I don't want to type it on my very loud keyboard, while we go on to the next story, just look up for me Robbie Heath and find out where he plays in the NBL for me. Because I I believe he is in the NBL, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, Yeah, he is. Uh, This is going to be a tough one. He plays for the Cairns Taipans. T-A-I-P-A-N-S. His nickname is Aussie Robbie, by the way, because he, he is Australian. Robbie Heath is an incredible Australian name, too. I can't think of one more Australian than Robbie Heath, R-O-B-B-I-E. Very, very strong. Maybe, maybe I'll reach out to him. We'll have him on the pod sometime. Tom, let, let's go over then to this story in the basketball world that you and I found to be... I mean, I just love this story. So basically the other night, John Morant was playing in a game against the Golden State Warriors. They were going for, I believe, their 11th straight win. Uh, They were able to win that game, but late in the game, John Morant had a bucket, a very clutch bucket, and one to put them up a handful of points late in the game. And as he got over into the fan area, he noticed a fan trying to give him a high five. It was a young kid, I would guesstimate somewhere between 8 and 12 years old, and he was wearing a Golden State Warriors jersey. He, of course, as anyone does, stared down this young child and then went back to playing basketball. But the Grizzlies decided to do something awesome here, and they decided to run a youth jersey exchange. So basically, if you had a jersey of an opposing team who wasn't a Memphis Grizzly, you could bring that jersey and exchange it for a John Morant or Jaron Jackson Jr. jersey. They had lines outside the stadium of people exchanging jerseys. And I just think this is an absolutely awesome thing. It was kids 12 and under. The first kid in line was the kid who he stared down in the Warriors, Steph Curry jersey. And I just love everything about this story. Yeah, I mean, shout out to John Morant for for not letting the competitive edge get in the way. Um, Or I, I should say not letting anything else get in the way of the competitive edge. But it's just really funny. You know, if I had to pick a guy that, is most likely to stare down a child at his arena. The list is probably one Kevin Durant, two John Morant, but I think Jaws closing the gap a little bit. And Russell yeah, he's just really fun to watch. Russell Westbrook, you know, no fan's going to jaw Westbrook anymore. He's terrible. Um, so, I mean, it's got to be timely. And I guess Durant's out for like a month now. So, Jaws number one. Congratulations. But it, what about it feels Embiid? like this. 
Embiid, Embiid, I think doesn't. You, you'll probably disagree, but I feel like Embiid doesn't lean into the villain as much as Ja does. He only leans into it at home. So yeah, I would agree with you. Okay, yeah, but I think you know I, I said before the show, Ja might be my favorite player in the NBA right now. Just the way he's fearless and. You know, it's really refreshing to see kind of that life in Memphis again. You know, it, it is a basketball-rich city, and promo is is, is genius. I, I think it was staged. I, I think they brought the kid on. Mm. Um, I don't think he was actually the first one in line. I find that a little too coincidental, a little You're too convenient conspiracy. to I am a little bit of a conspiracist, but, you know, give the Grizzlies social media team a raise, if that's the case. Give them a raise anyway, because social media teams deserve more, but awesome all around. I think we need to talk a little bit more about this Grizzly team before we move on real quick, because I feel like you and I, even through text, it's so much about, you know, it's the Suns or it's the Warriors. No one else can win the West. It's the Suns or the Warriors. And then here come the Grizzlies out of nowhere, just steamrolling teams, 11 straight. Jaron Jackson Jr. is playing his best basketball since he entered the league. Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain have done their thing. John Morant's an all-star this year. And it feels like they have the formula to go deep in the playoffs. They have a star player surrounded by other good young role players. Jaron Jackson Jr. is no slouch as your second best player. And I think they have a great shot to come out of the West. I wouldn't pick them, but I think they at least deserve to be in the conversation. Is it a reach to say John Morant should be the MVP frontrunner right now? Yes, I believe it. It's a bit of a reach just because they did go on like a seven game win streak while he was hurt. And then, you know, they they went on this 11 game win streak once he was back. But I think it's a bit of a reach. Okay, fair enough. I mean, they're a ton of fun. So I think they they match up really well with both the Suns and the Warriors. So, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. I think Utah is having a really good year, too. And it's just kind of par for the course for them. No one's really talking about it. But yeah, the West is good. Breaking news. It's it's you know it's been the last fifteen years in the NBA, but the playoffs are going to be a good time. You know why no one's talking about Utah, Tom? This is very much like the Stugats thing. It's do it in the playoffs because we've seen Utah so many times. They have a good regular season. Oh, is this the year? Do they finally put it together? Do they make the Western Conference Finals and then second round exit? Because yeah, it's Rudy- like do they make the Western Conference Finals? Not do they win the title? Yeah, it's like it's because Rudy Gobert gets played off the floor in the playoffs. The guy they keep giving Defensive Player of the Year is a literal defensive liability once the playoffs come around because they they've built their team so specifically to have to play Rudy Gobert, and so when you can't play Rudy Gobert. Your team is garbage, and it's so much fun. It's There's no team I enjoy watching suffer more than the Utah Jazz, not even the Celtics, because I like when the Celtics are good. It makes the rivalry more fun. The Jazz are good, are at that point where they're just good enough to make you think they might win the West, but not actually good enough to even make the Western Conference Finals. It's the best place for them to be. Better, better NFL comparison for the Utah Jazz. Are they more Cowboys or more Packers? Cowboys, they underperform in the playoffs. Feels like it's their year every year. The Packers, they have a great team, but they never actually make the Super Bowl. So I guess also underperform in the playoffs, but just feels like around later than the Cowboys. I would say, oh, wow, that's so tough. I would say they're, they might be more Packers, but that might be me doing something with like the geographic locations and like the fans. Like the Cowboys have such a global fan base. The Jazz, it's like, 
10 dudes in Utah who just really love the jazz. Like, I, I just can't really think of a good reason that people are out here with the jazz. Uh, just to double back real quick to something you had asked, because I'm curious what you think. How would you rank the MVPs right now? Because to me, Steph was a clear front runner for a long time. He struggled this last month and has not been the same player. In my personal opinion, before you go, I'd probably go Embiid 1, Giannis 2, Durant 3, but Durant's probably going to fall out of the top 3 now that Durant's hurt. Steph's probably going to, maybe Jaws 3rd now. But to me, Embiid, since he's come back from COVID, has been the best player in basketball. Yeah, I hate to say it, but I, I would take Embiid too. I, I probably had, or Embiid 1, I probably had KD 2 before the injury, but I think Giannis slides in there now. Steph and Ja are going to be fringe contenders. But yeah, I think with the way Philly's played and, you know, obviously without Ben Simmons hanging over their heads all year, are they going to get a deal done? Where are we at with that? I I feel like it's been all talk and it just no one is moving at all. I'm torn on this because I have a friend who is firmly of the belief that you shouldn't just trade him for anything, which is where he thought I stood. In reality, my stance is if you can get two quality players back for Ben Simmons, you might be able to win the East. You are two and a half games back of the one seed. Kyrie Irving can't play yeah, in his... did them a lot of good last year. But, but listen, you're two and a half games back of the one seed. Is anyone scared of Chicago? I don't think Chicago is going to be a good playoff performer. I wouldn't be worried about the Chicago Bulls. The Brooklyn Nets are bad defensively again, relying on a guy who can't even play in their home games, and Kevin Durant is hurt again. So the Brooklyn Nets are vulnerable. The Bucks are the Bucks that you have to worry about the Bucks because it feels like they'll figure it out once the playoffs come around. They kind of do it every year. They're always in like the Eastern Conference Finals, and it's like, wow, how'd they get here? I feel like they weren't even playing that well. And then the Miami Heat are the other team I think you really have to worry about. But you just put the beat down on them yesterday. Granted, not a healthy Heat squad, so I don't think you should put too much in that. But I think if you can get like a Tyrese Halliburton and a Harrison Barnes for Ben Simmons, you got to do that deal. I think that elevates you to good enough to win the Eastern Conference in a year where, once again, the Eastern Conference is super winnable. It is not very clear. There is no clear best team once again. I've seen that floating around the the various Kings trades. Can you explain to me why that makes sense for Sacramento to do? What you know, they're not going anywhere. Why bother trading for Ben Simmons with all of his problems when you do have th- these young wing players that you know aren't are, are doing your team a solid? If do you want me to be honest with you, or do you want me to try and pitch you on it? I want you to be honest with me. I have no idea. I, I don't think it makes any sense that they want Ben Simmons. It's not like they're Ben Simmons That's my away. thing. With, I see this floating around with Sacramento. Like, what does Ben Simmons do for the Sacramento Kings? I have no idea. The, the Sacramento Kings have wanted him for like two years, and I do not know why they want him so bad. Because think about does, the way Does the GM like owe Maury a favor? Is that what's going on here? I think they are friends for the record. So, I mean, the fix might be in. This is a good take by you. But I just like you look at their team, right? Does, if you trade away Tyrese Halliburton and Harrison Barnes or Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald, let's just throw either of those out there. Are you telling me Ben Simmons is a good fit next to De'Aaron Fox? Because I don't think he is. Are you telling me he's a good fit next to Rashawn Holmes, a center who plays strictly within six feet of the basket? I don't think that's a great situation for him. And yet, not only does he want to go there, the Kings seem to really want him. The, the weirdest team at all that is interested in Ben Simmons is 
is the Atlanta Hawks. I understand they're struggling 17 and 25. They are nowhere near where you and I thought they were going to be. I thought they were going to be the one seed. So I just look like an idiot right now. But like, why do the Hawks want him when they were there when he had the worst performance of his career? They were courtside to watch him shrink. And they're like, I would like to sign up for that, please and thank you. I I just, I don't get what teams are so happy with Ben Simmons. And again, I'm not doing the six, like, granted, no one's going to hear this, but this is not how the Sixers should be. Uh, like, if the Sixers are thinking this, which they are, they need to make sure that is not ever vocalized in any of the leaks to woes or anything like that. They got to keep doing what they're doing where they're like, we need an all-star caliber player back for Ben Simmons. I think at this point, it's time to cut bait and just take the best possible deal you can get. And I think that's with Sacramento. But why does Sacramento want Ben Simmons? I have no freaking idea. Not a clue. Great answer. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Awesome. Because I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm glad that the people in the Philly camp are also wondering why. It's just weird. It's it's so weird. Like, imagine they send... Be honest with me for a second. You get back either Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald or Harrison Barnes and Tyrese Halliburton. Are they favorites in the East? I would still probably take Brooklyn or Milwaukee, but they they better their chances. And and that's my thing is like you have to do everything. It's close. It's close. When you have a guy like Joel Embiid playing potentially as the best player in the world, you need to do everything you can to give that man an opportunity to win. Because we've seen the best players in the world when the lights are brightest. Like, why? I feel like when people talk about the Sixers, they kind of discredit Embiid, but I'll ask it this way. Why can't he go on a Dirk-type run? Why can't he just be the clear best player on a team? You don't have a clear second co-star, but he just puts the team on his back and wills them through the playoffs. Because the way he's playing right now on offense and defense, that's what he's doing. He's willing an inferior team to wins. I, I, I kind of liken it to what the Bucks did with Giannis. It felt like every signing they made, you know, especially with, with Holiday and, and PJ Tucker, you know, is, is to better Giannis's chances in the way he plays. And they really built that roster around him. And it feels like Philly just hasn't done that as much. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that, too, because they started to do something recently where they're letting him kind of bring the ball up the floor in the same way they let Giannis bring the ball up the floor whenever he gets a rebound and Embiid's just been punishing people on the fast break he's been hitting people with euros step back jumpers he's been running down the lane I've never seen I haven't seen him dunk this much in like three years since like that 2018 playoff run he has not dunked as often as he's been dunking this season so he's clearly just having a great time out there and good, let's get Ben Simmons out of here. If this is all we need for Joel Embiid to be happy, do whatever he wants. Like, whatever Joel Embiid wants, do that for this man. We need to keep him happy because if he's not happy, he's going to be looking to try to win a championship elsewhere. But maybe not. He might not be that kind of guy. Tom, let's move on then. We have two more things we'd like to hit this week. The first is a story out of Florida, and I would say this is easily the weirdest story of the week. We don't have much to say here. I'm just kind of curious your reaction because I threw it out there before we started. You didn't really give me much of a reaction, so I want to get it here. Kodak Black was uh, at a Florida Panthers game recently. For those who do not know, he is a rapper. I'm not the biggest fan of Kodak Black, but I do know he is a very popular rapper. And there was this angle scene of him in his is sweet with a female companion and it looked like they were uh i'm trying to be delicate on this one it looked like they were potentially doing the deed if you know what i mean you know what i mean 
And so there was this angle and it just looked, it looked very odd. We then later got the other angle where she was just grinding on him. It appeared in the suite at a Florida Panthers game. I just really want to know your reaction to, you know, your reaction when you saw the video, when you saw the second video, what, what was going through your head? I, I did jump to conclusions after the first view. Um, what Didn't what we people all? thought was happening, I, I I bought into that. I think it, I think it's a big flex by Kodak Black. You know, show up to a Panthers game and kind of steal the show. Um, my 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 secondary thought is, if you're the NHL, is this a is this a any publicity is good publicity scenario? Or are you kind of like, eh, how did it happen? Because I think I'm going with, you're glad that you got some big names at the game, so you got to lean into it a little bit if you're the NHL, but. You know, it's very Miami. If there was a city that this was going to happen in, it was it would probably be a Panthers game. They're having a great season. I think they're first in the East right now. So, if you're the Panthers, bring them back for the for the playoff run and, and get them going. Do the uh, do the Quavo like University of Georgia type thing where he's at every game. But great, you know, great for the Panthers and weirdly enough, great for the NHL. Tom, not only first in the East, they have the most points this season in the NHL, and this is the first time we've talked about them. So, yeah, obviously this is good publicity. And you know what? This is, David Sampson mentioned this on the Lebitard show this week, but he had said that this is what you get when you ask for celebrities to go to your games. This is what you're hoping for, that they do something or have something happen where it's like, oh, wow, like, did you see what happened at that Panthers game? And now you're talking about their team. If you're in the area, you're potentially like, maybe I want to go to a Panthers game. I don't know why that video makes you really want to go to a Panthers game. We might have to have a talk about that. But I think this is one of those things where all publicity is good publicity, and you're naive if you think this doesn't happen at sporting events. I guarantee you this is not the first time this has happened, not even at a Panthers game. This is just the first time we've seen it. Well, the Knicks have been living off the the Spike Lee jawing at opposing players for 30 years. So, you know, you get it. You want the celebrities to kind of make a splash. Uh, (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) Phrasing. (laughs) Phrasing. Okay, Tom, let's move off that story before I make a joke that I can't take back. And let's move on to our final segment. And that, of course, is our sound of the week. It's the way we close out every episode. I really liked doing this because I feel like we all we always bring sound that is not the most viral. This week, though, I feel like we went majorly viral, including one that happened right before we started recording. Tom, I will play your sound first because it is shorter and it is funnier. Is there anything you'd like to say to preface the sound? Actually, no. I think this is better with no background, so let's just hear it. I'm going to give a little bit of background because I think no background makes it hard. I think all people need to know that this is Mike Tomlin, and this was said right before the start of the Sunday Night Football game. So let's hear it. What will your final message be to your team before you send them out here? Don't blink. If you're a blinker, cut your eyelids off. And that's it. That's the entire sound. Short, short but sweet, I think. This might be better than the Dan Campbell bite off the kneecaps to win. I might say that this one is funnier to me than that. Um, it, it feels like a medieval punishment. I feel like the 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 Brits used to do something like this. I don't, you know, not historically accurate by any by any means, but this feels like very cruel. Um, if I'm a Steelers fan, I'm probably wishing and and thankful that I do have eyelids so that I can shut my eyes and not have to watch them get blown out, but. I thought it was hilarious. I, I've never heard the, the cut off the eyelids part of it if if you blink, but way to take it to the next level, Mike Tomlin. And, uh, you know, that's why he doesn't have losing seasons is because he's willing to go the extra mile. 
This this is the most. This goes immediately into the Hall of Fame of football guy quotes. We got the kneecaps quote. We have this quote, and let's never forget the Mike Vrabel. I would cut my penis off to win a Super Bowl. These are all in the pantheon of great head coach quotes, and I'm happy we've added another member. And you know what, Mike Tomlin. A press conference legend from his splash sound to his, uh, what was the other thing he said? Oh, where he does the, we do not care. Like that, that is also Mike Tomlin. He is a press conference legend and I need more from Mike Tomlin. All right, Tom's got nothing to add. Tom, we're going to move on then. I'm I'm trying to hold back laughter. Sorry. (laughs) No, let it fly. Come on, let the laughter go. I got nothing to say to that. Press conference legend. Oh man, he, he he does he get added immediately to the Talgo legend legends? You know we got the Glizzy God herself, Nancy Reagan. She's I mean a that, that's got to be an immediate. Is that's got to immediately go on the, the soundboard, right? Yeah, I've, I this think might, maybe he is. That's that's got to be on the soundboard. Yeah, we got to think about it. We we got to build out the soundboard a little bit too. You know we don't we haven't built it out yet, but when we do, the people are in for a treat. Uh, Tom, let's move on to my sound. My sound much more serious, but I. I appreciate it that he did this. I think some could argue this was pandering, but I I appreciated it. Nick Saban, after the National Championship game last Monday, uh, his players began to leave the podium, and before they could get too far, he called them back over. So let's go over to that sound. Bryce and Will, thanks for your time. We'll let you head back to your locker room. I'd like to say something. Can I say something? Absolutely. You know, these two guys that are sitting up here, they're not defined by one game. These guys played great for us all year. They're great competitors. They were great leaders on this team. Uh, and they that they contributed tremendously to the success of this team. And we would not be here without them. All right? And both of them take responsibility for the loss. Um, but both of them contributed in a lot of ways, in a positive way to giving us a chance to win and a chance to be here to have an opportunity to win. So I just want to thank them for that and let everybody know how proud I am of these two guys. Thank you, Coach. Thank you very much. And so that was it. I, I thought it was a nice move by Nick Saban. And a good reminder, honestly, I feel like a lot of these kids, they are kids. Like, how old is Bryce Young? 20 years old? He's five years younger than you and I. I know your birthday's coming up very shortly. But... You know, Bryce Young, to to do this and to have that public support from your head coach right after you had the worst game of your career, I think it's just a nice thing to do. Not to play devil's advocate, but it's a little panderous. Come on. There it is. Who, who's, who sat there like, I, Bryce Young had a terrible game. This guy's going to be a bust. He, he was awful all season. Like, we all know that Bryce Young was amazing this year. He was the Heisman Trophy winner for a reason. He destroyed Georgia when they played in the SEC championship game. This guy is going to be a first-round pick probably in the top 10 when he eventually goes to the NFL. Will Anderson, you know, whatever. I don't know what the Defensive Player of the Year award is, but he was, you know, people were talking about him all year. And, and I get it by Saban, and, and, and it's cool to kind of to kind of publicly show love for your players when, when you are kind of as guarded as Saban is. And this is really a couple times this year where he's kind of been a little bit more vocal in the media you know kind of protecting his guys against the fans earlier this season I thought it was odd to go at his own fans but I think he had a good point when he did it but 
Um, you know, I, I, I think people at Alabama kind of, this was for them. They get so used to success that they're probably a little frustrated with Bryce Young, but he's still sitting there like, look, guys, we've won six championships in 13 years. This this wasn't my best team by far. And, and these guys still went out and then, and they fought and they got a number one ranking and then, and they went to the national championship. So, you know, be proud of these guys. Don't, don't be disappointed that you only finished second. Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there though. This isn't for you and I, this is for those fans earlier in the season where he was, that he kind of went at that was like, you know, your expectation cannot only be national championship or bust. And I think that's who this was for. This is for those fans, because let's be honest, fans can be cruel. And we've we've talked about on this show before, you know, guys who have bad NCAA tournaments and then getting death threats from the fans. And I think it's important for Nick Saban to go out there and to be like, you know, these are human beings. They had a great season. This does not define who they are as people. And, you know, they're going to come back next year and they're going to be great. And I, I just appreciate that from Nick Saban because he didn't have to do that. And you're right. It's a little pandery. It's He's definitely pandering a little bit. And I bought in a little bit. But I don't know. I appreciate him doing that. It can be both. I mean, you know, he, he's a great coach for a reason. He kind of knows he knows his fan base really well. I mean, he to be fair, he's been calling the fans out for years for not showing up to to the the cupcake games, for, for leaving games early. He has been vocal about that, so it's not like it was new this year. But, I mean, yeah, they had a lead in the fourth quarter against maybe the best defense college football has ever seen in the national championship game. Like, it, you're going to be okay, Alabama. Yeah, they, they, they were down their two best receivers, and they still had every opportunity to win that game. So Alabama should be happy with how this season went, given how everything went. Uh, Tom, that brings us to the end of another edition of There Is A Lot Going On. Just an update for the people. The people are, oh, I guess I don't need to give them updates. More for you, Tom. Uh, Chiefs are up 35-14. to That one looks like it's in the bag as the fourth quarter starts. But do you have any final thoughts before we go this week? I'm ready for next weekend. Divisional playoffs. Uh, still the best weekend of football of the year. It's really nice that uh, our teams are no longer in it because now we don't have to linger on like whether or not it's going to ruin our day or not. It's just, you know, the games happen and then I move on. You just got to rip the Band-Aid off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 really nice when you know your team is going to lose and then they do finally lose because then it just feels kind of like a sign of a sigh of relief, if you know what I'm saying. That's Tom Shively. I'm David Oro. We'll catch you back here next week for another edition. There's a lot going on.